Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the Golden Brain Awards. At this time of quarantine we mustn't forget that we are in board game award season and as such we are hosting our own awards. Yes, the Golden Brain is the most coveted in this very room. With me I have Ian McAllister, Ian Chandler and my name is Jamie Adams and we shall be guiding you through our awards. Because this is Brainwaves, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. Episode 48, The Golden Brains. Now here are the awards for the week of the 11th of May, 2020. The winner of Most Comedians in One Room in a news story that we're covering this podcast. The winner for the most controversy over winning an award. And the winner of Most Money. All these awards and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Stay tuned. And here to present the winner of Most Comedians in One Room in a News Story that we're covering this podcast. I'll hand you over to Mr. Ian Chandler. Yes, this is the news that Comic Relief goes dungeon delving. Sue Perkins, Nish Kumar, Ed Gamble and Sarah Pascoe were in a party of adventurers guided by their dungeon master and host of questing time, Paul Foxcroft. They were raising money for Comic Relief. They were live on Tiltify, which is a fundraising platform which allows donators to influence the show. Uh, on Friday the 8th of May at 7 o'clock, British Standard Time, they raised £23,500 for Comic Relief, and this allowed them to pass several milestones during the show. For example, a free re-roll for all players at £5,000, and at £17,000, a horrible goose turned up and harassed the players. I quite like that. It's almost like um, in certain video games where if you have Twitch integration, uh, then at times players like people watching could influence what was going on in the game yeah it's a really cool idea yeah i didn't know twitch did that that's really neat actually i mean i think they did it a while ago i can't remember if they still do it it might depend on certain games yeah i think it's down a lot to the streamer themselves from what i know of it but yeah it's, it's a really good idea they raised a fantastic amount of money and obviously it's yet more exposure for the hobby and on a much much wider platform so yeah good all around well done to those folks for raising so much money yeah, I've got no doubt that Sue Perkins, Nish Kumar, Ed Gamble, and Sarah Pascoe had a brilliant time as well and did all kinds of stupid jokes and stupid voices. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd bloody hope so. <laughs> yeah, be, uh, I think I'll be up on YouTube for a while and that kind of thing, so you can go and have a watch as well. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic, Ian. Thank you very much. Now, here with the winner for Most Controversy Over Winning an Award Award is Jamie Adams. Thank you. Yes, of course, it is still award season, keeps rumbling along. And we have the Golden Geek Awards 2019 from Board Game Geek. Now, the Board Game Geek Golden Geek, you know what, I'm just going to call them the B4Gs. Is that all right? Fine. I mean, it, it does sound like a do-wop group, but whatever. That's fine. Uh, the B4Gs are voted on by the community on Board Game Geek, which is the largest uh, database on the internet for board games. Now, this year... The runaway winner of most awards was Elizabeth Hargrave's Wingspan, which swept the board with the Artwork and Presentation Award, Best Card Game, Best Family Game, Most Innovative Game, Best Solo Game, Best Strategy Game, Best Expansion for the European Expansion, and the coveted Board Game of the Year Award. 
Now, there has been a little bit of contention uh, on Board Game Geek. I was going to say, no. surpri- I was going to say surprisingly, but of course, this is Board Game Geek, and yeah, there's been some contention that Wingspan won so many awards, won awards like most innovative game and people are going well it's not innovative why did wingspan win all these awards i think you know, the usual thing of i think x game should have won because x is better than wingspan uh, there has been some contention but i will say to those who are being contentious yes this is voted on by members of the community you know this is voted on by the people so this is what the, this is what the people on board game geek like now yes there might be people saying oh you know people just voted for their favorite game for everything yeah, probably. That's how this kind of works sometimes. I mean, I personally think it's something to be grateful for. It's it's, it's good to see a change like this in the sort of games that are popular on BGG because board game geek tends to be quite hobby intensive. It tends to be quite deep strategy games or, or sort of heavier Euros, that kind of thing that float to the top a lot of the time. And it's I think it's good to see a more a more popular game, a game that can appeal to a much wider audience do so well. I think that maybe speaks to a change in the makeup of the community of, of Board Game Geek, and I think that's good. I really agree with that as well. One of my first experiences with Board Game Geek was just getting into the hobby and going, okay, we should get a third board game. And we looked at Board Game Geek's top 10 and thought, Paragrid, Paragrid looks fine, let's pick that up. And then sat down for a big game of it with eight people, opened the box, started punching out the components. And had a terrible, terrible time. So, <laughs> yeah, more representation oh of newcomers and casual games would be great, actually. In the year Gloomhaven won, and Scythe the year before that, Gloomhaven took six awards, uh, Scythe won five. There wasn't this level of controversy. So th- there's a bit of gatekeeping going on here, I feel. And like as the hobby gets bigger, as it grows, we're bound to see a change in the, the makeup of the community in BGG. But we're going to chat a little bit more about sort of categories and that kind of thing a little later on in the cast. Now to touch on some of the other winners, um, Watergate from Capstone Games won best two-player game. Now I've been teaching uh, both Ian's Watergate uh, over the lockdown period. Um, I'm very happy that it won two-player game because I yeah, think it's great. It seems great. great. I want to play more and write a review about one. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, the best podcast category was won by Heavy Cardboard, uh, with the runners-up being so very wrong about games and no pun included which was quite nice. Well done to them. The best podcast category has been running since 2014. And the winner for the most thematic game was Dune from Gale Force 9. Well, thank you for that, Jamie. That was quite an enlightening experience. Now, moving on to the winner of most money award. And I have here Mr. Ian McAllister. Yes, the winner for the Most Money Award is, of course, Frosthaven, which has taken $11 billion. Well, not quite, but pretty close. Is that $11 uh, American dollars, or is that $11 billion uh, British dollars? Uh, it's the same in each currency at the moment. Ah, sorry, the, of course, the, yeah. The pounds tanked so much. Uh, well, yeah, so Frosthaven has officially become the most funded tabletop project ever at uh, $12,969,608. And is the third most funded project on Kickstarter of all time, which is quite extraordinary. Project obviously by Isaac Childress, who uh, did the first gloom, uh, did the first game Gloomhaven. 
So previous Gloomhaven printings have taken a couple of million each time. This is was obviously going to be a huge project when it came along. It's had a lot of support from the community, a lot of um, content creators getting on board with writing particular missions. Uh, we also noted that Ankh has been performing relatively poorly to its previous to the previous games in that series rising sun uh, which was the game before that took 4.2 million and ank only finished up at 3.3 million now uh, that's both us dollars now obviously there's a global pandemic on people are being a bit more cautious with their money but when something like frosthaven's taking that level of cash you got to ask some questions really about if simon were expecting a better performance from ank this time around i guess we'll see how that shakes out over the next sort of year or so as it comes to print now that's you know fair enough in the grand scheme of th- in the grand scheme of things it raised 3.3 million dollars that's still a lot of money it's still a lot of money yep it's a crazy amount of money like you, you can't go oh you know well the current financial worries about a uh, cool or not and you know frosthaven maybe taking the money that might have gone to to ank that's that's incredibly possible it's quite likely as well but at the end of the day it's still they've raised a couple of million dollars for the game yeah, you know, it's all, it is a lot of money, and maybe that's fine. But yeah, alongside their financial woes that we've reported in on in the previous couple of casts, it's maybe not looking entirely rosy for Simon. But obviously, we'll see if that shakes out to be that way over the course of the year. The only thing that worries me about it is that, given Blood Rage took under a million, Rising Sun took four point two million. I think Simon may have bet on this Kickstarter doing six or seven million. And could have financially tied themselves up with it, basically. If they've been sensible and have just not predicted anything, then that's fine. But if they have bet all of their cash on this, that could be a real issue for them. We're obviously speculating here, but yeah, we Full will bring you more news. We'll bring more news on that uh, as it develops. Thank you for that, Ian, and well done to all those who got an award, and even all those that didn't. It was still an honour to be nominated. And, oh, what's this? Oh, a last-minute award here, ladies and gentlemen, which is the winner of the best and patronising announcer voice in a board game podcast. And the winner is... We'll be back after these messages. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. Yes, I am back in my role as financial correspondent. And I'm here to give you some news from Hasbro. You ever heard of Hasbro? They've made a couple of games that no one's ever heard of, like Monopoly, for example. In this time of global pandemic and universal brouhaha, Hasbro is reporting uh, an increase in sales. It's a jump of 40% uh, in the first quarter. During a conference call with the CEO of Hasbro, Brian Goldner, uh, total gaming sales have been up $340.5 million which is up 40% from $243.4 million last year. Now, during the call, Goldner said, if you look at our games business overall, what research tells us is it's not just the fans of all our games, including our face-to-face games and magic, that are coming to our games business, but rather, with increased penetration, we're seeing people take hold of gaming globally, more people wanting to make connections to play a variety of our games. Our game sales by brand are going more deeply into our portfolio. Now, as he said there, Hasbro not only owns, you know, the the more classic family games like Monopoly, Jenga, uh, but also they own Wizards of the Coast. So Dungeons and Dragons, 
and Magic the Gathering, which, you know, never make any money whatsoever. They're just a little side hustle for Hasbro, aren't they? Um, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's probably true. <laughs> I I don't... I, I mean, they take a lot of money, but compared to, like, global yeah. monopoly sales, for instance. Yeah, I'd, I'd still say I think they, they have a nice... A nice hefty wedge of of money for Hasbro. You know, this is happening even though you know all around the world, shops and gaming shops are closed. Um, I think this is this is a, a good sign that tabletop gaming may come out of this still with a degree of of health, despite you know it being a predominantly social, face to face based industry. I mean, we are seeing a lot of tabletop simulator and digital versions doing gangbusters right now. But I think this is a good sign. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think it's it's great to see those sales rise, and obviously some stores uh, are switching to online or doing like local local collections and pickups and that kind of thing. And the yeah, it's hard times for the the hobby shops, and hopefully most of them will come out the other side still in business and still relatively healthy. And if the the tabletop hobby itself has sort of grown in popularity over the course of the pandemic, then they may see a big spike in sales when lockdowns are lifted worldwide. We can but hope. I'm going to take off my Homburg of financial correspondence and pass on to Ian M. Now, Ian, uh, you've got some news about the Kickstarter union, which, uh, which if uh, listeners may recall, we promised we'd keep people updated on. Yes, so on the last cast, we talked about um, the Kickstarter union basically entering negotiations with Kickstarter because they were laying off a large number of their staff due to a downturn in project revenue. So Kickstarter Union has announced that they've managed to reach a negotiated settlement. This is the Kickstarter Union that got itself together in February with a formalised vote. I'll briefly summarise their statement. They basically say they've managed to get four months of severance pay for all laid-off staff, voluntary and not voluntary. They're going to get continuing healthcare coverage, which is great. They're going to get recall rights for a year. And what that means, basically, if a job opens back up in Kickstarter that that particular member of staff uh, would be capable of doing, they get the first bite of the cherry with regards to applying for that job. And they have also been released from their non-compete clauses in their contracts, which is almost unheard of in tech companies of this size in the U.S., Tech companies tend to be very, very worried about staff moving to rival companies and taking trade secrets and, and ideas with them. So that, that's a huge win for the Kickstarter union. They're basically all fairly big deals, and it's drastically different to the standard US at-will contracts. Uh, this will cover all 86 staff at Kickstarter, including those who voted against the union. So yeah, well done to the Kickstarter union. Great to see. Ian, you've got some news from Steamforge Games, who are putting forward a fantastic deal for stores. This is Steamcore Games have set up a referral system where game stores receive 40% of customers' purchase and 40% of all future purchases provided the customer is new to Steamforge Games. It's called Retailer Friendly Affiliate Program and customers who use a referral link from a store will actually get 5% off the recommended retail price themselves. Steamforge have explained the rationale behind the move, saying we know that retailers are concerned about losing customers to publishers. The program is currently undergoing a trial run for three months in the US, and Steamforge say they will continue to pay the 40% commissions in perpetuity on customers referred during the trial, even if the scheme doesn't go ahead. So this is an incredible olive branch to small shops and retailers who generally don't get on too well with 
Kickstarter companies who just, yeah, just churn out these big projects full of Kickstarter exclusives that customers buy cheaper off Kickstarter and then they hit the shops. They're incredibly expensive purchases for these shops and then they sit on the shelves of these shops because their audience has already picked them up at better and cheaper prices. Yeah, it's great th- great to see this and hopefully some other companies will follow suit and maybe it's a way forward for Kickstarter-focused companies like Steamforge to help support the sort of community and play, especially for some of Steamforge games where you see a lot of community play with things like Guild Ball needing communities to, to play it to, to still exist. So yeah, great to see. Yeah, that 40% commission forever on any new customer is incredible as well. I mean, at some point you might, if this goes ahead and if this becomes a really big deal, then you might get stores that just operate on that commission. That is huge. And talking about uh, companies helping out the little guy, uh, we've got a little bit of news from the DMs Guild, which is the sort of official Wizards of the Coast uh, platform to launch your sort of your D and D adventures and that kind of thing. Usually, they take fifty percent of sales uh, as basically commission. And at the moment, that is not the case. The DMs Guild is giving 100% of royalties to creators until the 17th of May. Now, the bit on their website that talks about this does say it's selected titles, but when I went to look at it earlier, uh, it was basically, I think it's basically everything that isn't an official Wizards of the Coast product. So if you have any favorite uh, RPG writers or adventure writers that you really like and you want to support them, now is the time to do it through the DMs Guild because they are going to get all of the money. They say there is a sale on a lot of these products. They're getting up to 20% off. They're up to 20% off, but it's still a massive amount more than the creator would usually get. So yeah, go and give them uh, help out with that. A couple of last bits of news before we go into our brainstorm where we're going to talk a bit more about the Golden Geek Awards. Uh, there's an Asmodee bundle up right now that you might want to go and have a look at on the Humble Bundle, which is a sort of PC gaming store where you can get a bunch of games at once for um, less money. And you also give money to charity when you do it. So you go and check that out. It includes things like the Scythe Digital Edition, Splendor, all sorts of things on there, basically board, board game uh, digital versions. Unfortunately, Asmodee have also been up to some takedown tricks and now we've had this confirmed by some of the creators but basically Asmodee have been going after some of the tabletop simulator mods that exist for some of their properties especially Fancy Flight Games Arkham Files series now that's things like Arkham Horror LCG, Eldritch Horror, Arkham Horror all all those games set in the sort of Lovecraftian universe there's been a bunch of those taken down, including one that I used a lot called the Arkham Horror Super Complete Edition. Asmodee are totally within their rights to do this. However, the timing couldn't be worse, in my opinion. Well, you you said tricks, and I, you know, I'm I, I'm gonna take slight issue with that. In that, you know, that's kind of a pejorative word in that uh, that title. True, as you said, they are well within their rights to do that. It is their company. No one is making money off. This, this is all for free, but, you know, and also at the same time, if they had the ability to get digital copies of, you know, said properties out there, that would make sense. But also, also on the other hand, I'm kind of going, it, it isn't great timing when we're all inside. Yeah, it's not great timing when we're all inside. I would happily pay for digital editions of these games, but Asmodee aren't offering that. 
Not right now. Not right now. And they haven't said anything to it. I have reached out to Asmodee for comment in a couple of different ways and I have not heard back. If I hear back before this cast goes out, I'll add something in. But that seems unlikely because we're recording on Saturday the night and this cast is going to go out on the 11th. They are totally within their rights. It is their intellectual property and I completely understand them wanting to protect that. But just the timing of it is pretty bad and looks like a basically a PR nightmare for them. Well, it might have it might have been they were planning to do it for a while, and this just you know it, when they were going to it happen. It is bad timing. Yeah, we'll bring you more on that as we learn more. Uh, hopefully, there'll be some kind of statement from Asmodee at some point. Do I have to get up, Ian? I'm really comfy on these chairs. No, no, we'll just do it here. It's fine. I mean, yes. we don't want to, we don't want to move around between rooms too much. So we thought we'd have a wee chat about uh, the Golden Geek Awards controversy. So yeah, as we spoke about earlier in the cast, Wingspan has swept the Golden Geek Awards and in doing so has caused controversy as people debate the merits of whether it is innovative or a strategy game or or even if it's a card game. As these are basically popular votes, the awards are very much giving people what they want. But as the hobby matures, as it evolves, is it is it time we sort of revisit the language we use around board game categories? Uh, what should that language look like? Is there a definitive way to to talk about this stuff? What, what you, I, I was sort of thinking about the sort of Oscars and how they define things and how some films cross categories and that kind of and that sort of that sort of idea, like how you categorize things in such a way that you can give awards in a definitive way. I don't I don't know if there really is a way. What do you think, Shaps? I think one of the major bones of contention seems to be uh, getting at people is the category of most innovative game. Mm, yeah. Now, by its very nature, yeah. the phrase most innovative game is one that could go back and forth. I mean, it's, you know, what what is most innovative game? Looking at previous winners, I mean, I'm just going to go back, say, to the 2018 most innovative game was Root. 2017 most innovative game was Gloomhaven. 2016, it was Captain Sonar. What makes an innovative game? And, you know, seeing in in response to some of this um, backlash from this year, Efka from No Pun Included put up a very good uh, thread on Twitter talking about it, going, quoting from Efka, um, a lot of people are very confused today about the fact that innovation doesn't just come from mechanisms, but also presentation, artwork, and approach. I'd agree with that 100%. Yeah, and we, yeah. I think we, con- I think especially BGG concentrates too much on things being mechanically new without mm-hmm. sort of looking at things like, well, can we present this game differently? Like the graphic design of stuff. We, we talk, um, the, the industry talks a lot about people like Ian O'Toole who are great sort of graphic designers and we don't acknowledge that side of things enough because the graphic design of board games helps us learn them, helps us play them well. So yeah, there is, there is an innovation to be looked at there. There's ways to communicate information because board games are all about that. How do you communicate the sort of board state to people, and how, what's it look like, and and is it uh, is it an attract is it an attractive game to play to pick up and touch? Because board games are tactile, and that's what we love about them. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, Efka Efka continues uh, along those. Um, you know, he he says, I think we're so obsessed, self obsessed as a hobby, and so predetermined as to what makes a good game. Mm, uh, yeah, that it definitely. only it, it it you know he he says it only serves us right for Wingspan to come along and blindside everyone, which you know I full disclosure I haven't played and I don't think either of you guys have either. Nope. So this is not a comment on Wingspan the game, because listen when the lockdown gets lifted I'm very happy to go out and play Wingspan because I've been wanting to play it for a while. 
I mean, it's on Tabletop Simulator, so we could give it a shot. Uh, I'll see how much... Yeah, I'll have a look and see how much it costs and see if we can get it and have we game together. It's the... Yeah, as you said at the very top, it's giving the people what they want and people go, what? That's not what I want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But remember, this is a democracy. Yeah. And, and as I said in the piece where, where we're actually talking about the Board Game Geek Awards... I think it's a good thing that Wingspan has set the boards. It's a much more accessible game. It's got a very different theme to a lot of the games that have won awards previously. It's not very nerdy. It is in a way, I guess. It's sort of like nature nerdy rather than uh, sort of fancy and sci-fi themed and that kind of thing. And it's it's good to see those kind of games being acknowledged by the community as popular, as something they like. And I think now that Wingspan has done this, has swept these awards, we are bound to see more games like this that are investigating more esoteric let's say i think esoteric is the wrong word more sort of like family more approachable themes okay yeah that's yeah yeah, that's reasonable that's reasonable i mean we are mainly focusing you know we we were focusing on most innovative there again you know it's it can be seen as slightly nebulous as you know the the other games like ones uh ones are slightly more Obvious or understandable, your best two-player game. Well, that's quite an obvious one. You know, it's it's only to be played by two players. Best card game. Yeah. You know, card games such a, you know, Wingspan, an example of board game that uses cards predominantly. Yeah. But there's also a board. Right, how does that work? Yeah, exactly. It's a weird one, isn't it? And yeah. I think we can get hung up on trying to define that. Exactly. So we won't, we won't get hung up on it. We're, just, we're saying yeah. it, we're just putting it there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like things like like what does strategy mean? Like what's a strategy game? Well, you know that's almost off, impossible to define. Off the top it. of my head, I would say a strategy game is what one might say a slightly heavier game. Absolutely. Again, tradi- traditionally, tra- traditionally, last year the winner was Brass Birmingham. Two thousand seventeen, it was Gloomhaven. Two thousand sixteen, Scythe. Two thousand fifteen, Pandemic Legacy Season One. Um, in tr- yeah, with the exception of Brass Birmingham, all those games. Uh, also won Game of the Year that year. Yeah, so it's so, effectively Game of the Year. <laughs> it, but it, apart, from, apart from last year, where Root won Game of the Year and Brass Birmingham won Best Strategy Game, I think it's slightly heavier. Yeah. It's more of the... I, I, would, I, dare, I don't like to use the words more traditional Euro-style game because not all of them are more traditional Euro-style games. Yeah. But that, I, that idea of you know, a lot of planning might be some kind of worker placement-ish elements some again this, this this is this this is what i've just said is entirely invalidated by gloomhaven scythe and pandemic legacy season one i think it speaks to replayability a bit as well i think that, that people get those two maybe conflated in their heads that it's because it's they find it very replayable it's got a lot of strategy in it which may or may not be the case for some games yeah case of depth versus randomness i think what we've i think what we're pushing at here is that it is very hard to define and almost impossible to define definitively which means that it it's either it's either a useless category or it can, it's a category that can basically be whatever it happens wherever we happen to define it as for that year and it might change over time as well as we start to consider different aspects of games elizabeth hartgrave put up a thread um multi-award winner designer oh <laughs> yes <laughs> um, it's important to note she's won awards elsewhere as well like critic only awards and panel awards and all that kind of stuff um so multi-award winner elizabeth hargrave said she actually would 
suggest categories based on Board Game Geek's weight subjective rating. So she would say a family game should be weighted one to one and a half or two. So Ian, what what is what is the subjective weight category? Um, because I've seen it a lot, and I I'm I'll be honest, I don't know what it means. <laughs> so it's a completely subjective category in which people rate their games from it's a it's complexity. Yeah, it's complexity rated one being the simplest and five being the maximum, entirely subjective. But because it is both subjective and specific and also crowdsourced, you actually end up with a reasonable measure of complexity that you can look at a game and say, okay, that's in the region of two to three. That means it's a midweight complexity game by the general standards of most people. Elizabeth Hargrave was saying she thinks strategy games should be um, just a heavyweight category that's three or above on Board Game Geek. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Yeah, those simple categories might, with that extra little bit of definition, might go a long way to easing frustration that people arguing over categorization issues rather than the merit of the games themselves. Then people start going to arguing about weight issues, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that, that's that's the thing. All all awards are controversial. That is just the very nature of them. Some people disagree with what award, awards are given. Oscars every year it is the same. Some films should be in there or should be in there or whatever. And the categories, there's always arguments. There's always controversy. It's, it's also not to, not to say that uh, the awards can't change because oh, the, yeah, award, the awards have been running. The, uh, the B4Gs have been running since 2006. And they initially started... Uh, with seven categories and you know they've changed over the years you know there was a best family game and a best children's game you know going as far back as 2014 yeah so there's you know the it's we might see a, a big change next year yeah, indeed i think we will see some changes next year especially in digital as we've talked about in the previous couple of casts with everything that's going on right now we're going to see more acknowledgement of the digital side of games outside of just the base, the best board game app. Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah. we'll maybe see a bigger breakdown in categories, much like we do for the main awards. But we'll have to see. Let us know what you think, folks. We'd be really interested to know your opinions on the Golden Geek Awards. Uh, if you think they're still relevant, if they should change, what what do you think should have won? Let, let us know via email, via Twitter, via Facebook. Get in touch with us and let us know your opinions. Just before we get to our outro, we'd just like to give a little shout out to our executive producers, Lucky Sparrow Gaming Cafe. We hope they are all doing well still, and last time we heard from them, they were okay, and they were getting a bit of financial support for the cafe. Hopefully, they will be back up and running when lockdowns start to lift. And if you would like to help us out during these times, we do have a Patreon where you can get involved for as little as $1. That will give you access to extended versions of all our casts, so there's a little bit of extra nonsense, maybe extra articles, that kind of thing, because we try and cut the main cast down to about 30-35 minutes where we can. And you'll also get access to articles and that kind of thing on there as well. We are we doing a little monthly update these days to let people know what's coming in the next month? Jamie, you've got some not Monopoly, but very interesting news from Canada. Yes, I'm afraid we don't have any Monopoly news for you this week. I'm sorry. I, I am very sorry. Uh, I'm doing my best, uh, but I have some news straight from the 49th parallel, as Ian said, from Canada. And this is a bet on rock, paper, scissors. Uh, 
has been ruled invalid by a court in Quebec after the $517,000 bet was considered excessive. And stupid. Was it considered stupid as well? (laughs) It's hilarious, Ian. Thank you to um, Mr. Jeff Engelstein for sharing this. Uh, Board games out of Jeff Engelstein. Uh, Some really nice games. Now, after a best of three game in 2011 between Edmund Mark Hooper and Michel Primo, Hooper took out a mortgage on his house in order to pay off the, I'll say it again, $517,000 debt. Now, in 2017, the Superior Court of Quebec cancelled the mortgage, a decision which was appealed by Primo. Uh, Now, Quebec law stipulates that for a wagering contract to be valid, it must be related to activities requiring only skill or bodily exertion on the part of the parties instead of chance. Now, furthermore, the amount wagered must not be excessive. In the judgment from 2017... Superior Court Justice Chantal Chatelaine, I hope I got that right, ruled Rock, Paper, Scissors is not simply a game of luck, saying that it could, in certain precise circumstances, call upon the skill of the parties, particularly in the speed of execution, the sense of observation, or the putting in place of a strategic sequence. She nonetheless invalidated the mortgage contract on the grounds that the amount wagered was excessive. Now, on April 17th of this year, so we're nine years down the road from these games having taken place. The appeals court in Quebec examined the decision again and concluded that it seems evident that the game also involves a large part of chance so that it does not take only skill or bodily exertion on the part of the parties. So it's now invalidated uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors as being eligible to be bet on for huge sums of money. It also upheld the conclusion that the 517,000 Canadian dollar wager was excessive. I kind of like to know the background between these two gentlemen and like why they had such an excessive bet over rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) That is extraordinary. The guy who won the bet made his friend take out a mortgage on his house and then appealed the decision when that was... I mean, this, this is ridiculous. It is, it is crazy. I'd love to know the story behind that. Maybe we'll look in, into that and share it if we can find out some more information. Uh, just so you guys know, 517,000 Canadian dollars at moment of recording, which is the 9th of May, is equal to 297,295 pounds and 43 pence sterling. Wow. That is a that, lot of that, money. That is a current market value. Also, it's very specific. 517,000. Yeah, I just wanted that. Best of three, mate. Best of three. absolutely crazy anyway folks thank you very much for listening if you like what you've listened to then as always the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on itunes you can also follow us on twitter at the giant brain our instagram is giant brain uk facebook the giant brain our website is giantbrain.co.uk and you can email us about anything in the show or news stories you have that you'd like us to cover at giantbrainuk at gmail.com and we also have a twitch channel these days where i am currently streaming some XCOM chimera squad on wednesdays at 3pm anyway say goodbye gents goodbye, goodbye gents, gents.